Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Bally Sports Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And today we have a jam-packed episode of Miami Miked Up to get to you here with three different guests. So let me give you a couple of quick introductions. First up, it's Victor Oladipo, and I obviously couldn't be more excited to speak with Vic after what we saw from him in Game 5, 23 points, setting the tone for the Miami Heat. But his story is unbelievable for those of you who have been paying attention, and for those of you who haven't, Victor Oladipo has now overcome multiple surgeries. It's really been a multiple year journey to get himself back into playing shape with the Miami Heat. He's played now in just 10 total games and in his 10th game, again, 23 points in a Game 5 victory for the Miami Heat, sending them into the next round. He should be in the rotation for the Heat, headed into this series with the 76ers, and I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to reflect on what just happened over the last week with him and preview this series with the Sixers. So Victor Oladipo's up first, and after Victor Oladipo, we've got John Crotty, who's here for analysis of what went down in that first series and what the Heat can do to bring that defensive prowess and what we saw from Jimmy Butler in those first few games into this series with Philadelphia. And then last but not least, it is an extended conversation with Jessica Blaylock, who's been wearing multiple different hats for our network. I made her wear multiple different hats in this episode. We'll cover the streaking Miami Marlins and, of course, the number one overall seed, the President's Trophy winners, the Florida Panthers, as they head into the postseason against the Washington Capitals on Tuesday night. We've got a lot of postseason coverage headed your way. We've got Marlins baseball nearly every night. Let's get to all of it right now. Victor Oladipo here on Miami Mike Up. And now a man who needs no introduction. You all saw what he just did in Game 5 of the previous series against the Atlanta Hawks. Now the Heat head into a matchup with the Sixers. And I have an opportunity here to speak with Victor Oladipo. Vic, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on Miami Miked Up. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, normally I ask people as the first question something outside of work that's brought them joy recently, but I feel like work has been so joyful for you recently that this might be a, a tougher answer than usual. So is there something outside of work or is work sort of uh, the, the thing dominating your happiness right now? Um, you know, just being able to experience this with my family is just, uh, it's probably the happiest thing just because, you know, uh, they they saw the blood, sweat, tears. You know what I'm saying? They've seen the, the process. They've been right there. So to uh, experience that with them is, 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 is my happy place. So it's pretty cool. Um, and I just got to keep working hard so I can have more moments like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you've mentioned it yourself. Look, a year ago, right around now, you were waiting on your second surgery. Uh, you were at what you've described as as your lowest point. And now, a year later, 23 points, setting the tone in a Game 5 that clinches the series for the Heat. You said you believe that you can surpass the player that you were back in Indiana, so your confidence is, is back up. So take me through what this sort of last year in particular has been like that led you to this moment that you had in Game 5 and just your 10th game of the year with the Heat and, and the emotions that sort of poured out from there. Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I've always felt like I could be better than I was. Um, you know, I just felt like I didn't get the opportunity before to fully maximize my rehab because of my circumstance. But, you know, this time, you know, my cards are dealt right. So I feel like I have, you know, 
the, the ultimate opportunity to, you know, maximize myself physically and mentally so I can be better than I once was. But, you know, for the most part, you know, all in all, I think that it's, it's just a process that you have to trust. Um, and you have to trust the ups, you have to trust the downs. Um, but most importantly, you have to trust yourself. And, uh, you know, um, that's what I'm doing. I, I trust myself, my movements. Um, and, you know, when you play on a team like this, I mean, you really just got to go in and be plugged in. Really, everybody right. is so talented. <laughs> Everyone's so talented. There's so many great players. So, you know, it's kind of a great situation for me because I can come back and just be myself. I don't have to be too much of myself or play outside of myself. And, um, you know, when you have such great talent in the locker room and a great coaching staff, a great organization, it makes it that much easier. Well, to be in this position now, you've said it a few times yourself that you've been battling since before you were even born. So in some ways, I imagine there, there's a part of you that feels like after all this, I was born to play this game. Uh, I know that you're a deeply religious guy, so I would love to know how much has sort of your faith been tested in this process or even even your faith in yourself, right? The ability to know, hey, I'm going to make it through all of this and come out on the other side. Yeah, I think it's 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 uh, numerous times, numerous times it's been tested, um, but it made me realize that I'm I'm the only human, you know, and, and everyone's faith gets tested at some point. It's just um, about how you you know you utilize that moment, and whether you you can you know fold or you can you know rise to the occasion. And for me, I just felt like I had no choice but to fight back. So, and I'm still fighting to this day. Still not you know be all end all. It's it's the process. So. Just got to continue to keep getting better. And, uh, you know, like I said before, trust the process and um, enjoy it. Honestly, that's the biggest thing is have fun because, you know, like I said a year ago today, I couldn't even walk. So. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, to, to be where you're at now, it's unbelievable. And I know, hey, we don't want to be using that term, uh, trust the process, as you go into a matchup with Philly. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, I, I can't imagine, look, even recently when you were coming into the playoffs, right? You were sitting and looking sort of on the outside, looking in for, for playoff minutes. And now you've had the performance you had in game five and you've got, you know, a day like today where you're looking around and, and a number of guys on the team are, are sort of banged up. So you got to be in this position once again to sort of go forward with this attitude of, hey, you know, I can show up whenever and contribute in, in my way. But I want to look back at, at game five for just one more second because I couldn't help when I was watching you run toward the baseline and celebration at the end. But think of one specific Dwayne Wade moment and not the, the this is my house buzzer beater, but actually the buzzer beater he hit over Ben Simmons when he came back to Miami in 2018. And there was something very similar in the emotions there that you guys were sort of both experiencing. And now, you know, you and I spoke before the season about your relationship with Dwayne, how you guys met, you know, it's sort of obvious the admiration you have for one another. So I wonder, number one, have you guys sort of spoken about this at all? But, but, have you thought about Dwayne Wade during this moment? And did having this individual moment, particularly in the house that Dwayne Wade built, mean something special? It's a surreal experience, honestly. You know, just step, stepping back and looking at it, like I was watching D as my favorite player in that same arena. So, you know, however many years later to be able to do it myself, it's, a, it's a, definitely a blessing. Um, and I appreciate it. And, you know, D his he, he has such a great career, but he, he faced some obstacles as well. You know, he went through some things as well, some battles too. So, you know, just watching him from afar, he never quit. He never stopped working. He never stopped going. And to say that didn't rub off on me, I would be naive to say that. So he's a great role model and he doesn't even have to try hard to be just a good person in general. So I'm lucky to have him in my corner. 
I think uh, a lot of a lot of kids who grew up here in South Florida feel similarly about having him as sort of a proverbial role model, right? You know, yeah. knowing knowing that we've gotten to admire that guy from afar. Uh, I just, you know, the side note here, you got to tell me the outfit you had post game, right? You had an option for if you went in and only played like six or seven minutes and scored like four <laughs> points, right? The shades, the the little ascot at the end, that that was coming off if you if you didn't go off for twenty three points, right? Be truthful here. Uh, that was going to stay on no matter what. <laughs> I like so it. I walked in. That's what I walked in. Walked in wearing. That's what I'm gonna leave. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, it also made me laugh after after game four when you picked up on sort of the uh, the Jimmy hates me uh, comment. And then after game five, you gave him and Kyle some love. Can you discuss the impact that, that your teammates have had on you in this journey coming back and, and even specifically there in game five? Um, I, I think it's just a respect thing. I think they understand that what I'm going through is not common and it's hard and it's tough. So they just do a great job of, of just being there when I need them. Like, for example, last game, you know, Jimmy and Kyle were so vocal and helpful during the game, not just to me, but to everyone. Uh, man, that means a lot. That helps us a lot. That gives us confidence, you know. That gives us, you know, uh, that much comfortability knowing that they're right there with us, really, essentially. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not playing, they're still in the game. They, they see what we can't necessarily see while we're playing. So it was huge for all of us, uh, man. You know, it was fortunate that, you know, we got out with a win, uh, but it's going to be fun to have them back out there. Yeah, having an extra set of eyes out there for you guys, I can imagine, has been helpful. Just a few more questions, and then I will let you go here. Um, have you had a message from someone, whether it's a teammate, whether it's a former teammate, whether it's family or friends, a message from someone in the last few days uh, that has meant the most to you, someone reaching out, sort of congratulating you or talking to you about uh, what, what sort of happened here uh, over the last week? Um. Probably my mom, my mother. And what, what was her message to you? Basically telling me, reassuring me and letting me know, like, the strength that I have in me. A lot of times, you know, when you go through things and, you know, things happen, you sometimes can forget how strong you really are as a person. And that was her biggest message is just that you have to remember and recognize who you are and the strength that you have in you and once you realize that then anything is possible you can accomplish anything with that strength and of course with god on your side well those are words to live by for for anybody so that's wonderful advice um now (laughs) now we uh and i hey man i'll take it i'll live by myself uh now Now, now that you guys head into the series with Philly, obviously uh, these two fan bases aren't exactly in love with one another. Uh, you got the process versus the culture. Uh, a lot of recent memories, right? A lot of specific, I, I've been thinking earlier today of a lot of Dwayne Wade memories against the 76ers at the end of his career. Tough matchup here for you guys, Embiid, Harden, Maxi. I just want your uh, initial thoughts on this matchup, defending you know, th- those three guys on offense and, and what you believe will be the biggest key to the Miami Heat winning this series. I think the biggest key is what we bring defensively every game. And uh, we understand that it's not going to be easy. We understand that it's going to be tough. Uh, we understand they have, you know, a lot of talent over there. And we understand we have to have, you know, a solid approach on both ends of the floor. And um, we're going to prepare um, <laughs> and go out there and go out there and do what we can on both ends of the floor to the best of our abilities and try to win a series. You gave me a really good uh, cliche basketball answer there. I appreciate it. Perfect, perfect soundbite, man. It's perfect, perfect for the one minute on an Instagram story. We're good. Uh, what give, what gives you faith that this team is still on track to do what you guys hope to accomplish and win an NBA title? We understand we have to stay in the moment, and uh, you know we can't look too far ahead. We can't look back. Uh, it's about one game at a time, and uh, we realize we got to win the game that's in front of us. Uh, you know the last series was great. 
know, we, we won the series, but we understand that there's a bigger goal that lies ahead. And in order to do that, you know, we have to win 16. So, um, and we've only won four. So we have a lot uh, more room to grow, get better, and we have a lot more room to go. So uh, we're locked in on continuing to improve, and we're locked in on the next game. 12 more to go, and, and we'll enjoy watching it. Rapid fire music questions before I let you out of here. What's your current favorite album? Current favorite album? I don't know, man. Uh, Tough question. I know Future's album just dropped last night, so... You know, I was going to ask you specifically about it. That's funny. I was going to ask you specifically. Instead, I asked you what's your favorite. So we'll say I it's gotta, Future. I, I listened to it last night, but, you know, I got to do another take. I like it. I love it, but I want to do another take so I can tell you which tracks I love, love. You know what I'm saying? Uh, on our next interview, you'll let me know then. That's how exactly. we'll do it. Yeah. Uh, all right. You said uh, before the season, you said Drake or Michael Jackson is people you would want to collaborate. Now you got to give me a third. Who's, who's another person you would want to collaborate with in music? Jay-Z and Beyonce. I'm going to use them as one because they basically are one. You know all right. We're getting, we're getting Victor Oladipo on a Jay-Z and Beyonce track. We're shooting a shot with this, with this tweet right here. Uh, and then lastly, I want to know what was on your playlist before game five? What type of songs do you have in your headphones before these games that fans can know, hey, if I prep for my job listening to these songs, then I'm about to have wild success as well. Um, you know, I listen to a little bit of everything from gospel to Afrobeats to little baby future. You know, it just depends on how I'm feeling at the moment. So it's a mixture of a little bit of everything. But those are the big three, really. So I started out with gospel, you know, work my way into some Afrobeats and then, you know, end with some hip hop. So. All right, everybody, uh, plan your plan your playlist accordingly going into the postseason, going into the next round, going into whatever you're doing at work yourselves, guys. Victor Oladipo, thank you for taking the time to speak with me here on Miami Mic'd Up, and good luck in the next round and beyond here with the Miami Heat. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And now for the very first time on Miami Mic'd Up, we welcome in the color commentator on Bally Sports Sun for the Miami Heat, the one and only John Crotty. John Crotty, thank you for taking the time to join me today on the show. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man. Before we get to anything, I do have to ask you the question that I ask everyone when they come on this program. What is something outside of work recently that has brought you joy? Well, I think uh, being able to spend time with my family over the course of the Easter holiday, for sure. Having one of my daughters come home from uh, getting her master's and having my other daughter who's working locally spend some time. I think that along with, uh, you know, recently excited about my wife and I a new purchase going back to uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, where we purchased a small farm and having an opportunity to sort of reconnect with my uh, with my alma mater there and spending time up in Charlottesville, Virginia when I'm not here in Miami. Those are a couple of things sort of off off the sports uh, yeah. side that, uh, you know, I'm involved with right now. So pretty, pretty fun times. Well, that's awesome and, and very exciting. Always good. Uh, when you can get some some family around and very exciting that you can get a chance to to go back around the old stomping ground. So excited yeah. for you there. Excited for you there. Sure. All right. So let's let's start getting into some some Miami Heat basketball. Obviously, um, a really exciting season that the Heat had in the regular season and now taking down the Hawks in five games in the first round of the postseason. Before we get into the specifics of this series. You guys covered this team day in and day out, all season long, every single game. We had you and Eric Reed on the call. Now, obviously, those live broadcasts during the game are over, so we'll just have our Heat Live post-game shows. But 
going through this season, going through the gauntlet, I'm just thinking, do any sort of moments stand out off the top of your mind that were some of your favorites from this season? You know, there's so many, Jeremy, because this team was unlike many others in regards to just different segments um, of the season, having different guys step up um, again with with COVID and the health and safety protocols and with some serious injuries that happened throughout the course of the year. You know, we got to see guys like Max Struess step up and, and into a role um, that's been so helpful to the team. And, and obviously for him, we saw Caleb Martin come in from a two-way contract and get converted to a full-time contract. Gabe Vincent um, who developed into a guy who's, been starting uh, again along with Max here right. in the playoffs due to injury. So, you know, those are some of the moments that kind of resonate with me. It's been pretty special. It has been very special. All right, so let's go ahead and reflect on that first-round playoff series for Miami. Like I said, they took down the Hawks in five games, and really, they thoroughly dominated the Hawks. It was exemplified by, by what they did to Trey Young, who really, they they just completely shut down more turnovers than made baskets, I think is the only stat that's really necessary when you talk about that. So can you explain to me what made Miami so dynamic defensively against the Hawks? And do you believe that they can bring that level of defensive prowess into the next round? Or was that more of just, hey, we've got a great matchup here with Atlanta? No, I think it's something that's consistent and it's duplicatable that it can continue to, you know, move on to the next series, if you will, in a different matchup. I mean, the thing that is what made it's so difficult for Trey Young was just the total team effort. This wasn't a one, one-on-one matchup. This was a really concerted effort um, to throw multiple bodies at Trey Young, who's a dynamic player, averaging over 28 points a game. And he just absolutely struggled not only to score the ball, but even to be able to initiate offense and, right. and create um, actions where he could make his teammates better around him. And I think, Honestly, I think it warmed down. I think it demoralized him. And by the end of the series, his body language was was awful. I mean, he just looked right. like he didn't want to be out there. You know, it was like yeah. just mentally he was so worn down. And look, I think what made it tough for him was, you know, you, you'd see Kyle Lowry or Gabe Vincent with their great quickness pressuring him up really close. Then he'd, you'd see switches with Jimmy Butler and his physicality. Um, you know, really being able to guard him. And P.J. Tucker in that mix, who at 6'5", still was able to stay with Trey Young. And then Bam, with his length at 6'9", 6'10". So it was interesting how connected Miami's defense was, how hard they made it for Trey. And I I think overall that was the key to the series because this is an offensive team in Atlanta that um, is really talented and one of the best in, in the league in terms of offensive rating. If it's normally when we talk about things that are sort of artful on the basketball court, we're normally describing, you know, the point guard making a flashy pass or, you know, a guy who just has a beautiful jump shot. But when you watched the Heat defense and their switching, particularly in the way that they guarded Trey Young in this series, it was artful. It was really, really incredible to watch the fluidity between these guys, the communication. And it's exciting to think that they can bring that into the next round. And the guy sort of at the focal point of it was also the focal point offensively, at least for the first four games. And that was Jimmy Butler, who missed game five uh, due to right knee inflammation. But 
Jimmy Butler averaged over 30 points per game in the series. What did you notice about Jimmy's performances that make you believe that this is sort of sustainable going forward for him offensively in particular? Well, I think his, you know, his ability to attack off the dribble is what makes him really the all-star caliber guy that he is. Um, His, he beats people with that strength. Um, You know, I I love his ability uh, to get to the basket and finish with contact. It's almost like a bruising attack and approach, but he gets to the free throw line consistently. And that's important on two levels. He's able to score manufacture points, but he's also able to allow Miami to get back and match up. Um, and, And that's really important when you have a defense of the quality of Miami so that, you know, you can be organized. You're not getting beat down the floor in a short clock situation. So I think the really interesting dimension to Jimmy's offense has been his willingness and effectiveness shooting the three. This is a shot that he struggled with and he really got, you know, really did not like to shoot. And he's been much more willing to do it. He had a great series shooting the ball beyond the arc and, and think about it. It's 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 if you really stop and think as good as he is going to the basket, if you have to now guard him outside of called 17, 18 feet where he could make that mid-range jumper. Now you got to come outside 23, 24 feet. That allows him more room to be able to maneuver and operate. Um, and that's makes him harder to guard. Absolutely. It's the reason why that 45-point performance almost looked easy. Like It looked like he wasn't breaking a sweat because when you're creating so much room from that three-point shot, and there was a stat that I saw, um, and I I feel bad, I I don't know who to give credit to, but I saw it uh, sort of floating around. Um, This is the third time in Jimmy's postseason career, if this continues, where he would have shot over 40% from three in the playoffs, a number he's never reached in a regular season. Like Jimmy just elevating yeah. his game, elevating that range. It's impressive from him. Uh, a guy that that you've already mentioned, but I don't think we talk about enough just because the stats aren't always there, is P.J. Tucker. And the stats actually backed him up uh, in this first series. Shot over 50% from three, over 60% overall, and just played tremendous defense, whether that was against Trey Young, the point guard, or playing, you know, at the five, playing the center for Miami at times. So could you describe the type of value that P.J. Tucker brought to this team in round one and has been bringing to this team all season long? Yeah, incredible competitive desire. I mean, first and foremost, um, that's what's really been interesting from, from my perspective, seeing him. And then the, the tangibility of his shot making, uh, loves the corner three, yeah. a reliable spacer. Um, who can catch and finish and he makes so many of these hustle plays he's you know we call them 50 50 balls right where Mm -hmm. um, he's able to loose ball offensive rebound um, hustle play on the ground Um, you know he's he's the one that's able to you know make that happen and and come up and generate those extra possessions for Miami and that's something that's that's really unique Um, and and then the defensive versatility uh, we talked a little bit about him you know, guarding Trey Young, but he can guard, you know, almost every position as well. So you're, you're out there with a defensive minded group uh, that's got a toughness uh, and a resilience. He's such a huge part of that. And it was so obvious from the day he showed up like, okay, this guy was sort of built for that heat culture uh, defensive first mentality that, that this team has. And like you said, how many of these guys can just guard so many different positions, and and particularly, I I don't want to miss mentioning Bam because you know sometimes, and and I'm I'm a culprit of this more than most, taking his consistency and reliability for granted. But his performance in Game Five was huge. His D 
defense all year and all series long. It's just impossible to replace. And he might not be the the necessarily best player or, you know, the go-to offensive guy on this team in every single moment, but he might be the most important piece on this team with how irreplaceable his skills are. Yeah, yeah, his consistency special. I mean, it really is, Jeremy. And, you know, he, he to me is... You know, one of the top defensive players in the in the whole league because of that versatility. He can guard one through five, but he does everything they throw at him. He consistently steps up, whether it's being a distributor, uh, rebounding the basketball. He's elevated his ability to score. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, he's impactful as well. Yeah, he's obviously a tremendous player and will be very important for Miami headed into the next round. Um, two guys who played in every single game in this series, and their impact was paramount, are two guys who you mentioned at the very beginning as, as part of the reason that this season was so fun. Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Max was was third on the team in minutes behind Jimmy and Bam in this series, second on the team in points per game. And Gabe, like you said, one of many, but he felt like the sort of Trey Young stopper. And he was the energizer bunny for this team a yeah. lot of this series. So his defense in particular was a huge key in, in turning game five. So I'll ask this question this way, and you know it's, it m- might be a tough answer, but which was more fun for you to watch in the first round Max Struess's almost irrational confidence or Gabe Vincent's tenacious defense <laughs> uh, I can't I mean I like them both when you yeah. talk about Max, <laughs> I, I just it, he set the record for most three-point shots uh in a playoff game with 14 and had a horrible shooting night by his standards and his yep. you know his ability to be able to continue to shoot to me um coming in as a recent starter just showed you his his mental uh toughness yeah and his confidence in himself it was really really impressive and then Gabe to me you know is so even keeled um and you know we saw him run the team during the the regular season but you know look I'm a little biased I'm an old point guard myself (laughs) but to have to come into that position replace a guy like um, Kyle Lowry and, and really run the team under pressure and be the two-way threat that he was defensively and then shot-making wise, I, I'm so impressed with Gabe and how much he's grown. Both of these guys are just great stories and really, honestly, as I've gotten to know them, really good people. They seem like really, really good guys. In the you know, obviously, yeah. you guys are having more interactions than I am. But in the interactions I've had with both of them, they just both seem like really quality dudes, and they deserve yeah. this moment. They've both really worked hard to sort of refine the skills necessary to be here. And and yeah, that that level of confidence and uh, stick to itiveness, we'll call it, for both of them, um, has helped them get here. And and one other guy who has overcome a lot before you know, we'll we'll have a couple one more question to wrap up after this. But it's Victor Oladipo. And I think everybody uh, who has watched any Miami Heat basketball games, what feels like ever, probably had to have the biggest smile on their faces watching Victor Oladipo in Game 5. A 23-point performance setting the tone for Miami. Uh, What can this mean for the Heat moving forward if this is the Victor Oladipo they can get? And what does it say about Victor Oladipo, the human being, that he was able to accomplish what he did just specifically in Game 5? Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to my uh, little talk about the theme of this season with different players stepping up, and what what a what a story for Victor Oladipo. I mean, yep. you know, almost ran out of games to get himself back into the rotation. Has a huge uh, blowout game in in the very last game, the eighty second game at Orlando, yeah. scores forty points. But you know, the, the the rotation at that point's tight. It's kind of 
it's kind of locked in right from a chemistry perspective but Mm -hmm. you know he keeps ready he keeps working um continues to develop and all of a sudden with this injury to jimmy butler uh, he gets a chance to be able to to be you know show uh his skills again and steps up in a big way and and what a difference maker he was uh in these last two games, uh, I, I thought particularly in, in game five, um, when Jimmy was out, uh, the team needed someone to kind of spark offense along with Kyle Lowry being out. And, and Victor has shown that burst again, that, that ability to slash and drive and get to the rim. And then the shot making. And along with that, he brings a, a defensive edge with his quickness um, to create steals. So uh, really happy for Victor because, you know, when you think about it, it's been almost two years since he's been able to, you know, get back to that level um, where he, you know, was formerly an all-star. Yep. He's truly, truly an unbelievable story. And to see him contributing that way in that game, you know, it's funny when the team is fully healthy, he could find himself on the outskirts of the rotation again. But I think that there's this funny dynamic where this team, we all season long, everybody's gone, oh, what's it going to look like when they're totally healthy? When everybody's there, how are they going to manage it? Whatever. On the flip side, that has led them to this position where game in and game out, it doesn't really matter who's there. They're able to sort of come through. So it's exciting to see that for for guys like this. And so now we head into this next round and the Heat will be squaring off against the 76ers as they have officially taken down those Toronto Raptors after a tough fight. It's officially the matchup that I think most of us in, in some way we're hoping for because this is a bit of a rivalry that's budding here between these Heat and these Sixers. At the very first glance, how do you believe these two teams match up and what will be the keys for Miami to win this series against the 76ers? Well, look, the Sixers are a tough matchup and they got some elite talent, you know, with Joel Embiid and James Harden and, uh, you know, young Maxi stepping in. Yep. Uh, you know, these are three guys who alone you, 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 defensively try to game plan for so um they have some nice pieces that they fill in around them in terms of shooters um and doc um rivers does a great job of being able to get his team um i think on the same page and matching up properly you know in in these types of matchups so not an easy uh matchup but i like um again what miami's been able to do defensively and i think that's something they can build on it'll be more often uh, than not, uh, it'll be more focused on Joel Embiid mm-hmm. and James Harden trying to slow them down. Um, Joel Embiid, they'll look to t- attack him in the post, um, try to fool him, come at him from different angles in terms of double teaming. And then you'll see a very similar approach um, to what Trey Young faced with James Harden, particularly on that pick and roll in the middle of the floor. Mm-hmm. They'll switch. They'll try to trap him as well. Keep him off balance because the best players in this league are too good if you just show them one look throughout the course of the game. you got to mix it up, and I think the Heat are one of the few teams that have the ability to do that um, with multiple players um, being able to really focus as we connected on the defensive end. Well, this should be one heck of a series as the Miami Heat head into the second round. Obviously, these games are now nationally broadcast, but everyone, you can tune into Bally Sports Sun for post-game shows for all of these games in the postseason, and the familiar faces, Eric Reed and John Crotty, will both be there. John Crotty, our first of hopefully many editions of Miami Miked Up together. It was a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you so much for taking the time. You got it, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. 
And now Jessica Blaylock joins the program. Her second time here on Miami Miked Up. One of our first guests back a, a number of weeks ago now, a couple of months ago. Uh, Jessica, it is so good to see your face. Uh, and I have to ask you the very first question, despite running across the globe uh, for, for work right now, I have to ask you outside of the workplace, what is something recently that has brought you joy? Well, I think I probably said this the last time uh, that we talked about this. Um, always my dogs and, yep. uh, and getting to FaceTime with my niece back in Jacksonville. Um, so I, I'm going to, you know, those continue to bring me so much joy. And especially with this being such a crazy time right now, I think the past couple of weeks, all I've done is either work hockey, watch hockey, work baseball, watch baseball. So uh, not necessarily a lot of time to either go on a cool trip or getaway or anything like that. So I can always, always, always count on spending time with my dogs uh, or, or getting to FaceTime with my niece back in Jacksonville. Yes, those are the same things that you used, but it's a good thing that those are still the same things bringing you joy, right? The fact that you have a constant going is a good thing. Uh, I sure. would say you mentioned all of the going back and forth between these two teams. So that's actually going to be the the setup of this interview. But before we do it, I want I want you to give perspective. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. Perspective for people on what your schedule is like just for like the next week, right? So that everybody can understand the type of uh, of, of switching of mindsets that you have to do with this job right now. Yeah, this is a fun little, uh, actually stemming back to this past weekend, this is a fun little stretch of, I think, 15 or 16 straight days of Unreal. kind of being on. So this past weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I worked the Marlins Brave series in our studio in Fort Lauderdale. Monday, hopped on a plane with the Florida Panthers, flew to Boston, worked Boston Panthers Tuesday. Right now, I'm in Ottawa uh, <laughs> for Panthers Senators tonight. After this, we fly to Montreal tomorrow for Panthers Canadians to end the season. Uh, I'll land late, late Friday night, early Saturday morning. Um, and then I work baseball in Miami Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then I go back to the Panthers next Thursday or Friday to pick up with them in the first round of the playoffs. Unbelievable. So it's busy, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I kind of, right now, I kind of feel like instead of where in the world is Carmen San Diego, where in the world is Jessica Blaylock? I'm in Ottawa right now. <laughs> again in 24 hours because I'll be in Montreal and then ask me again in 24 hours because I'll be in Miami. <laughs> How cool. I, we're going to have to start keeping no, this as amazing. the game. I'm going to keep it as, as the running joke on all of our <laughs> social medias. Just where in the world is Jessica Blaylock? I, it's so cool to, to see that you have the opportunity to do this. And I know how grateful you are to be involved in in these huge moments, right? You got the Marlins starting their season, the Panthers going on a playoff run, and to have those two worlds merge at the same time. While it could be, and some people, unlike you, would, would maybe take that as, oh, I'm working so much. I think, Jessica, you're just enjoying the ride of, of hey, how lucky are we to do this? And I think that that, that shows on, on your telecast as well. So, Well, uh, I, I really appreciate that. That's really kind of you to say. But yeah, course. I mean... Totally. Right. Like this is, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what brings me joy. I'm so grateful every single day to have a job that I love that I wake up and look forward to going to. So 
sure, it'd be easy in a stretch like this to be like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. I, you know, where am I today? What sport do I have to think about? <laughs> oh, I got to get up and head here or whatever. But instead it's, oh my gosh, every single day I get to wake up and go live my dream. And it, it's one of those stretches that just reminds me all over again, how incredibly lucky I am to get to do what I do and how incredibly lucky I am to get to cover two sports and two teams that I love with all of my heart. We are we are some lucky folks getting to cover these teams right now. Uh, yeah. And 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 so let's get into these teams, huh? Or I'm going to force you into the position that that you're in so constantly, which is just going back and forth between the Panthers and the Marlins. So that's how we're going to do these questions, too. Yeah, I'm going to intermingle both teams together. So we'll start with the Florida Panthers. OK, they have the best goal differential in the sport, which means they've been beating people down all year long. They've clinched the best record in the conference. They're still in a battle for the President's Cup for the best record in the NHL. Uh, as Jess mentioned, at the time of this recording, it's Thursday morning, so they're headed into their matchup with Ottawa. You guys will be listening after that game. But regardless of what happens in Ottawa, uh, this team has had an unbelievable season. They are coming off of a 13-game win streak, lost a couple in a row as we have this conversation. But can you put into perspective the type of dominance that you've been covering with this team and just how much fun it's been to to see this team have this type of regular season? Yeah, and I think one story that puts it in perspective is actually a story that I did in Boston of comparing their goal differential this season to the past four or five years. You know, they've been hovering around a plus 100 goal differential, which is insane for a while now. And I think last season they were a plus 39 and they wow. were a great team last year, right? right? So a plus 39 last year, the year before that, uh, a plus nine, the year before that, maybe a negative four. Um, so, you know, you think about <laughs> how insane it is to have a plus 100. <laughs> cold unbelievable. It's crazy. And I think a big part of it is, you know, kind of what we've talked about all season long with this team, um, the, the balanced scoring and the depth that they have, not only on their forward lines, uh, but also the fact that the defense is so good at activating offensively, um, you know, and, and then again, going back as far as the forward lines where the Panthers third and fourth lines could easily be top two lines on, on several other teams in the NHL. You know, you think about what the, the Lundell Marchment Reinhardt combination has done. I mean, you think about just all the different guys this season that are having um, career best years, whether it's a, a Carter Verhagen, Anthony Duclair, I mean, yep. even Jonathan Huberto and Alexander Barkov continuing to just crush their own personal numbers and records. And it's just, you know, Reinhardt Bennett, you just go down the list and it's, it's, it's crazy. Marchment, you know, I mean, yep. you could just keep naming <laughs> players. And uh, so it's, it's just been so much fun to watch, you know, knowing that you don't necessarily need your top line. Like some teams do score every night um, that, that you're really going to get contributions from up and down the lineup. And, and that makes it a lot of fun. Relying on contributions from throughout the roster has been the key to their season. It was also, yeah. ironically, the key, the key to the Heat season. And we've seen the type of success that that's brought them early in the postseason here, relying on guys that that maybe they didn't anticipate. The Panthers have done the same thing. That depth has been huge right. for them. So let, let's go over to the Marlins now. Uh, at the time of this recording, they're 9-8 and eight, headed into the series finale against the Nats. Four straight wins. They're second in the NL East. Three straight division series wins for the Marlins here with the Phillies break. 
Braves and Nationals. And this was the stat that, that was really kind of exciting. In a full 162-game season, this is the first time the Marlins have been above 500 since 2017. So right. it's pretty cool to see this team starting this way. I know we're only a tenth of the way into the season, but what stood out to you so far as the biggest difference between what you've seen this year and what last year's team was for the Marlins? I think the biggest thing so far is just the success against the NL East. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's been a huge key. And I know obviously a lot of their games to start the year have been against the division, but you know, you think about it, the Marlins have, have had success uh, against the Phillies, right? That's you know, it. <laughs> for four or five straight seasons, um, you know, had a winning record against the Phillies, but other than that really struggled against the Braves uh, you know, kind of struggled against the Mets, uh, the nationals kind of always seem to have their number as well. So to me, I think the biggest thing early on, because you knew you were going to get great starting pitching. That to me is not a surprise at all. Um, you knew at some point, maybe because of the shortened spring training, it was going to take offense a little bit longer to catch up with, um, starting pitching, um, but now we're, we're, we're kind of seeing the different contributions, whether it's a Joey Wendell, whether it's Aggie finally getting his first home run of the season, whatever it may be. Um, so I don't think maybe a slow start offensively and now them kind of finding a little bit more of a stride is a surprise. I think the biggest thing that stands out is just being able to take care of your business against teams in your own division, because Huge. overall, that's one of the most important keys to being a playoff team. Yep, absolutely. And and we'll see it. I mean, as 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 you continue to take care of business against those division teams early and continue to sort of set yourself up, not necessarily for tiebreakers, but just, hey, you're you're hurting them while helping yourself. It can only help you down the line, especially if you're going to hover around 500 for most of the year. Moving back to the Panthers, let's talk about a couple of the guys you brought up, Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov. I mean, these two dudes have been sensational. Like, they've always been great, but these this season, it's been so fun to watch the two of them. Huberdeau's likely going to finish second in points in the NHL, should be the MVP of the league in my mind. Barkov has done everything you can imagine in terms of impact, and it's really crazy. I was looking at it. Points per game, if you do it based off the games they've played, Huberto's at 1.4 points per game. Barkov's right there at 1.3. He's on yeah. a, a real similar pace. So this is your space to sort of say anything that you would like about the play of the two of them. But I also do have one sort of follow-up question, which will be, other than the two of them, which individual on the Panthers do you think is primed for the biggest playoff performance? So other than Huberto and Barkov. So I guess sort of yeah. a two-part question here. Okay, so first, just uh, kind of being able to share my thoughts in general on, yes. on Barkov and Huberto. Um, I feel like a proud mom. I know that sounds <laughs> so silly, but honestly, like I've had the chance to cover these guys for seven seasons now and really watch their progression um not only as as players but as leaders you know the first year that i covered the team they were both on a line with yaramir yager learning from yogs and now they're the guys leading the way you know what i mean so i just i i first off just feel so proud of them as people and as players um I love that. That's awesome. And and, okay. So individually starting with, uh, with Barkov, I I think really the past two years, um, he has really, really kind of developed that extra level of being willing to take over a game. Um, like an McKinnon would like a Sidney Crosby would like an Alexander Ovechkin would, um, 
And I think a big part of that, and I've said this before, you know, I think a huge part of that is having Patrick Hornquist in that dressing room. Um, Barkov is the ultimate lead by example guy. Nobody, nobody plays harder, you know, uh, both ways than Alexander Barkov and Barky sets the tone with the way that he plays out on the ice. And I think having Patrick Hornquist in the dressing room to be the vocal leader and kind of take some of that pressure off of Barkov has really just allowed Barky to focus on the game, truly just focus on the game. And I think that is why he's become a more aggressive player. I think that's why he's become more of a, a, a willing to take over the game type of mindset. I think that's why we're, sh- we're seeing him shoot the puck more instead of in the past. He's kind of passed first. Um, and almost in a sense been too unselfish, I think right. sometimes at times. Um, so I just think there's been this, this growth in, in Barkov that has stemmed from having that wonderful balance in that dressing room of guys like Patrick Hornquist and guys now like Joe Thornton and yeah. Rogerou and, you know, Radko Gudis, who, who can almost be the vocal leaders and Barky can just go and play and lead by example out on the ice. Um, as far as Huberto, I always go back with Hubie to last year, that first round against Tampa, watching him in the final minutes when the Panthers knew they were going to, you know, obviously um, get taken out in the first round by the lightning and, and Hubie on the bench, just devastated devastated, like almost looked like he was on the verge of tears. And I had never seen a reaction like that in Hubie before. And I, that is the moment I knew, like, this is a different Jonathan Huberto. Um, and he has carried that into this season. And I remember having a conversation with him earlier this year and he was like, I'm, I'm tired of losing. I'm just tired. of." And, and it was, he said, you know, it was so hard last year because I really thought we were good enough to win the cup. Um, and I think that he has developed such a complete two-way game this year, being a huge part of the penalty kill, his defensive game, taking pride in that. Um, he's always had the vision. He's always had the offensive skill, but the way he has stepped up his entire game as a whole, the way that he has been such a leader with his mentality. I mean, and and look, the numbers speak for themselves. Certainly. What what done this year is just it's been incredible. It's been incredible to watch. So, you know, with both those players, I, I think they have just taken such a a step not just in their development as players, but really in their development as leaders. Right. And it's it just it just makes me so proud. I can't say enough about those two guys. Well, the two of them have been have been sensational. And and to watch it, there is something special about the fact that you can say, "Hey, I've watched these guys since they were kids." The fact yeah. that that they've been here, right? That that the guys leading the way here on this essential super team here in Florida are guys that are homegrown, right? Who are yeah. who are part of this franchise from the beginning and Panthers fans have gotten to watch their journey that that's led them to this point. The la- and last Aaron Ekblad into that conversation. Right. Oh, he's well. absolutely a part of that as well and 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 we'll actually we'll get to Aaron Ekblad in in just a minute. So here's what we'll do. 
We'll transition away. I'll come back to the second part of that question in a minute. We'll transition over away uh, back back to the Marlins. So, so the second part. Oh, second part of the question. Yes. Is going to be that yeah, question. the other person. Okay, I'm going to go with Sam Reinhardt. I'm okay. going to go with Sam Reinhardt because uh, that secondary scoring, you know, that depth scoring is so important in the playoffs. He can score on the power play. He can score at even strength. He's got such a phenomenal net front presence. He's been mm-hmm. so good, so good in front of the net. Um, and his ability to, to make the other players around him better, you know, and talking to Andrew Burnett a couple of days ago, he always praises Sam Reinhardt's hockey IQ and says he's one of the smartest players I've ever been around, wow. you know, just his sense of being able to slow the game down, his sense of being able to separate and, and see who's coming, who's going just every part about his game. It's, it's just so good. So I think, I think Sam Reinhardt, um, and I think Sam Bennett and his mm. physicality, because things really tighten up, get even more physical. And especially if you're going to be going back and forth with a Penguins team, a Capitals team, a Bruins team, there's going to be physicality involved. Yeah. And and Bennett brings that hardcore sandpaper mentality to the ice. So I, th- I think the Sams are going to. Yeah, the Sams. I like that. I like I like the Sams being the answer. I'll I'll let, I'll let you get away with not just saying one person if you're gonna at least give me two people named Sam. So it works out. Uh, it's like when people <laughs> ask me my favorite Led Zeppelin song, yeah, and I'm like, like how- okay, so there's like a 12 way tie <laughs> for first place, and then I end up naming like half of their catalog. So I could pretty much do the same thing with this question. Hey, who's gonna be the key player in the playoffs? Well, with well, this I've got a 14 way tie <laughs> between. <laughs> yeah, between this entire roster, right? Because yeah. that's, that's how good this team has been, and, and they deserve that type of praise. Every single one of these guys. I mean, we're going to say a whole bunch of specific names in this conversation, but go look at the Panthers roster. Every single person on the team deserves credit for, really? for what's happened so far this season. Um, yeah. And we just looked at the offense for the Cats. Let's look at the offense for the Marlins. Uh, when, when you take a look at, at the guys who've had sort of the real playing time here, the grand majority of at-bats, the three leaders in OPS are three lefties. It's Jazz Chisholm Jr., Jesus Sanchez, Joey Wendell. Yeah. Uh, Jesus and Jazz have been great. I've, I've touched on them a little bit here, so I do want to lock in on Joey Wendell with you for a second, if you would. You brought him up earlier, actually. He's played three infield positions already, although primarily shortstop and third base, but he's tearing the cover off the ball. And I just want your sort of initial thoughts on this new addition to the Marlins, who really was sort of the under-the-radar pickup of all four bats that have been added so far this season. He's been sensational for the Marlins so far. Yeah, and what's funny um, was, you know, when the Marlins ended up making all of their offseason moves, you know, of course, you were super excited about each one for different reasons. You know, with Soler and and Garcia, obviously the power that they could bring to the lineup uh, with Jacob Stalling, just knowing what he's able to do behind the plate. And also, oh, and by the tremendous. way, Dawlings, I believe, ended a couple Pirates-Marlins games last season. So uh-huh, uh-huh. for that as well. But I think the one signing I was most pumped about was Joey Wendell. Huh. Um, because Joey Wendell is such a solid player in every aspect of the game. You know, mm-hmm. not just at the plate and putting together a quality um, you know, veteran at bat, but his position flexibility um, and and his ability to play all of those positions well. And one thing I was most excited about with the prospect of bringing in Wendell was the fact that we could potentially see Brian Anderson back in the outfield. And, you know, when Andy primarily played the outfield a couple seasons ago, 
he was really, really good yeah. in the outfield. Um, and that's not to take anything away from him over at third base. Right, because he's also a very good defensive third right, baseman. Right. I, I was just excited about the prospect of, you know, kind of getting to see Andy in the outfield again, mm -hmm. knowing Wendell could play third base. So, um, yeah, and I think Wendell has been everything as advertised. And I'll even go back to something Don Mattingly said during spring training. And I know Rod Allen mentioned this on the broadcast early on in the season. When the Marlins signed Joey Wendell, Kevin Cash called Don Mattingly and he said, everything you have heard about this guy, multiply it. Amazing. Like, even more so than everything you've heard. Like this guy is awesome. And again, not, not just the things that he does on the field. Right. But, but just that leadership oh, quality yeah. in the clubhouse and how you watch him go about his routine and, and his day and his work ethic and all these different things. I, I think, I think Joey Wendell, if he was by any means uh, kind of, you know, an under the radar signing, I, I think Marlins fans are, are seeing really how lucky, um, this organization is to have landed a player like Joey Wendell. He's tremendous. Uh, he has been a, a joy to watch. And like you said, every at-bat, you know it's a competitive at-bat. It, it, it's clear that, that that addition of Wendell has added a lot in terms of positional flexibility, and no matter where he is in the batting order, which is huge right. for Miami. Um, so the big question all year long for the Panthers uh, before the season, during the season, now headed to the postseason that everybody has, is will the goaltending be good enough for this blistering offense to carry the team to a Stanley Cup. Now, I'll be honest, in my mind it is. Like I've I've watched enough this season, I feel pretty confident uh that Sergei Bobrovsky has elevated his game alongside the support of of this team that can score, of this team that can play good defense. So, could you explain maybe what your trust level in Bobrovsky this time around in the postseason and and how it's been formed over the course of this year? Yeah, and, and I'm with you. I absolutely think the Panthers' goaltending is good enough for a, a deep playoff run and to support this offense. And, you know, even, even the other night in Boston, even though that was not a win for the Panthers, uh, Bob was incredible. He was great. And made some amazing saves, especially in the third period when the Bruins were on the power play. And, you know, give Sergei Bobrovsky a ton of credit because – the first couple seasons with the Panthers, he was very candid about needing to be better. And um, nobody works harder than Sergei Bobrovsky. Nobody challenges himself more than Sergei Bobrovsky or holds himself to a higher standard. Um, and he he took time during the offseason to really work on his technique and sharpen up a couple of things. And you've seen it with the results for Bob. Look, every goaltender is going to have a couple of rough games here and there. And certainly there were, I, there were certainly some games for, for Bobrovsky this season uh, that I'm sure he would have loved to have had back as well. But right. if you look at the overall body of work, I think Bob has been so, so solid really for the most part all season long. I think he has looked like a different goaltender this year um, compared to the past couple of seasons. And, and I really, really have a ton of confidence um, that the, the Panthers are going to be just fine heading into the playoffs with Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, manning the majority of the games and Spencer Knight, knowing that he got some playing time last year in the playoffs, had that tremendous Jeez. performance against the Lightning. Um, I think you feel really good about the position that you're in as a Panthers fan with the goaltending that you have. 
I just have a ton of respect for Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, and, and that's as a as a player who has sort of like been able to bounce back from a couple of not bad seasons, but not to his standard seasons, right? right? And had a had a good year here this year. And when you sign, and we see it all across sports, when you sign big deals, everybody is hypercritical of every little mistake, every little move. When you're Sergei Bobrovsky, you're supposed to be the guy that helps put the Panthers over the top. And so people have been right. hypercritical. And this guy has just continued to show up, work hard, and 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 own any and all challenges. Like, I could not be more excited to see him in net headed into this postseason. And I hope, you know, that he, that he plays as well as he's played this regular season because it'll mean good things for the Florida Panthers and for him. Yeah, and not just not just people being hypercritical of you signing a big contract, but you putting pressure on yourself to oh, live yeah. up to that contract. And you know, that that can't be easy. And even if you know you have been successful at something in the past, when you are in a new organization and you know the the deal you just signed, mm-hmm. I mean, if I was in that position, I would be like, okay, I've got to prove. I don't care what my yeah. my fast track record. Like I need to prove that I am worthy of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to think for some players because sometimes you see that in any sport, right? Oh, players will sports. sign a massive contract and then struggle in that first year. And I've got to believe that a lot of times that is a psychological thing that they are putting a ton of pressure on themselves. Yep. You have to always get the job done to prove to fans, to prove to the front office, to prove to the organization in general that they are worthy of the contract that they just signed. So I think um, I think this is probably the most comfortable that Bobrovsky has felt in a Panthers uniform this season. Really, you know, finally just being able to maybe take some of that pressure off and just play. And just and being I, a Florida Panther, right? Yeah, like that's, truly, that's truly being a Florida Panther who's been here yeah. now for a few years. Like yeah. it, what you just mentioned, that psychology of it, it's got to be tenfold when it's not just signing an extension that's large with your franchise, but it's going to a new organization altogether who's plucked you right. from somewhere else. And that that dynamic has to be interesting. We'll stay on theme here because pitching is sort of like goaltending, right? Uh, the, the Marlins pitching has been great. Near yeah. the top of the league in Team ERA, uh, Sandy Alcantara has already had a couple of vintage Sandy performances already this season. Uh, been really impressed with Jesus Lazardo and a couple of starts he's made. But let's be real. The conversation is about Pablo Lopez, who has just stolen <laughs> yeah. the show. Four starts, 3-0 and record, 23 and a third innings. He's given up one earned run. It came in the fifth Dang. inning of his first start. He's good enough Crazy. for a point. 3-9 ERA. So I know we, we were talking yesterday, you are on top of watching his most recent start, but I, I guess for you, maybe what stands out for Pablo, but more than anything, how happy are you for him right now after the injury last year to see this stretch that he's had to start this season, regardless of what happens from here? Plus, you know, not just bouncing back from the injury last year, but Pablo is honestly one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet in, in the your world. entire life. Like, like in the I, whole world. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough how wonderful of a human being Pablo Lopez is. Like he is, he is just the greatest. So I'm just happy for him that as you know, knowing what a good, good duty is, I just want like the best things for him in general. Um, you know, but I, I, and I love to, because he didn't have the best spring training numbers. If I remember correctly, he was was kind of bad in the spring training. Yeah. Um, so to to see him get off to this start, uh, it just it makes me so happy. But I, you know, 
I really think these past couple of years, again, right, like seeing these players go through progressions of, of really starting more and more to understand who they are and what they're capable of and, and seeing the results and believing it for themselves, you know, not just hoping when they go out there that they're going to have a good result, but believing and knowing they're going to have a good result. Yep. And, um, you know, Pablo being able to work with Mel, who, by the way, I mean, that's oh. an entire other conversation that we have about how awesome awesome marlin's pitching coach yeah I'm, obs- I'm obsessed with him like yeah, I, that, yeah. <laughs> so just you know to see what mel has done with sandy to see what mel has done with with pablo and, and all these other pitchers that he's working with and their continued progression um but i think the biggest thing for pablo too is just you know really really developing that change up over the past yep. couple of seasons and really being able to efficiently use that pitch and um yeah, I could could not be happier and loving that Pablo is getting national recognition. Yes. You know, I saw Sports Center tweet out about him. I saw uh, Major League Baseball, you know, post about him. And I, I just I love that Pablo is getting that recognition that he just truly, truly deserves for being such a humble guy, such a hard worker and overall just such a wonderful, wonderful human being. I couldn't agree with anything you've said any more than I do. Uh, he's just like you watch the way he carries himself around the clubhouse with the media, with fans, with everyone. He's just a wonderful yeah. guy. And I know you've you've gotten to have plenty more conversations than I even have with him. And that's the impact I've gotten right like for years and years. And I will say like something that has been so fun to watch. And and you mentioned it that pa- Pablo is pitching with with a tremendous amount of confidence. And I think that's that's two things here. Number one. I met, I actually mentioned this in in my conversation with Paul Severino right before the season about Sandy, which was that's ultimately what unlocked Sandy was was sort of the realization of oh my stuff is good enough that if I just yeah. pitch with confidence, I'm gonna get everybody out all the time. Like it's just and it's being that level of aggressive. And so I think Pablo is pitching with that, but I do believe that Jacob Stallings has a lot to do with that for Pablo Lopez as a pitcher who primarily relies on that changeup as an out pitch. The ability now to be able to bounce that changeup and not yeah. worry that it's ever going to be a passed ball is such a huge thing for a pitcher like Pablo that he gets to be aggressive around the zone with a catcher who he knows is on the same page. But let's move back to the Panthers now. I did keep the pace of this conversation <laughs> just rolling. Right, uh, yeah, let's get let's go back, 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 back. Another guy we brought up an injury with Pablo, a guy who's injured currently who might come back for the Panthers is Aaron Ekblad. You brought him up. Uh, right now, it looks like he could come back at some point in the first round of the postseason. So in your view, I mean, this team just won 13 in a row without him. So what kind of impact can adding Aaron Ekblad do to this roster with this team as they head into the postseason? How big would that be for the Panthers? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge game changer because, again, just like last year, before the injury, Aaron Ekblad was having a Norris-like trophy or a Norris trophy-like um, season, you yep. know, just you know, not just the offensive contributions and especially being a huge part of that power play, that first unit power play, but just, um, defensively, you know, I, I think he was top three in the league as far as his plus minus, I want to say at one point he was, you know, a plus 29 Mm. or something like that. So just the boost that you get, not just on the ice, but in the dressing room, knowing you're getting a player of that caliber back. And it just helps, you know, give Mackenzie Weger a ton of credit, a ton of credit 
for how many minutes, how many meaningful, valuable minutes he has taken on yep. in so many games, um, especially, you know, once Aaron Ekblad uh, went down in that game in Anaheim. Um, so I think you get, you know, not just a boost for, for weeks in particular, getting his, his partner on defense that he has played with now for so long back, then picking up right where they left off, but just balancing out the minutes uh, for the blue liners, uh, the, the boost it gives you mentally, emotionally, just as a team in general. And then of course, the way that he was playing before the injury, uh, getting, getting those offensive contributions from another defenseman back. So there are just so many, so many ways that, that, that boost is going to just almost have a trickle down effect. And, and, you know, that's what I think that's, you know, in a, in a way you almost, because the fact that the Panthers were able to win 13 in a row, you almost for a second have to, to step back and say, oh yeah. And they did do that without Eck. And now right. they're getting Eckblad back. It, it's, oh my gosh. It's just so exciting <laughs> to think about his return and seeing him, you know, he's on this road trip with the Florida Panthers and seeing him out on the ice, doing some individual work and getting back to skating and knowing there's going to be an opportunity potentially for him to get in a couple of practices with the team before they kick off the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. It's just, it's, Super exciting to think about him coming back. I just can't help but see all the parallels between this Panthers team and the Heat this year. And just in terms of all of this, right? Where in a year where l- luckily um, when guys have been out with COVID protocols, that's been under the, you know, for the most part, nobody's been getting sick. So it's just been guys missing time here and there. And what that's meant is more playing time for young guys to step up, right? right? There's been guys that have been injured and missed chunks of the season. And what has that meant? It's meant other guys stepping up and playing significant minutes. And now because the lines have constantly have to been shifted around, all these guys have chemistry together. This entire team really has felt like it's played together at some point or another. And so to be able to head into this postseason looking like you're essentially at full strength for the first time in a while is really remarkable for a team that's already the first place team in their conference. So it it has to provide a lot of confidence. So uh, let's wrap up on Marlon's questions and then we'll, we'll, we'll close it out with a final Panthers question. So we talked about this already. Marlins have started pretty well here. Obviously a nice way to get going. As you're listening to this conversation, they're either a couple of games over 500 or they're right at 500, but about a 10th of the way into the season has, has this start changed your expectations at all based on what you've seen? What's your confidence level that Marlins fans should believe this team can maintain this pace sort of for a full season and and be right in it, you know, second in the National League East, playing 500 ball throughout the long-term uh, race of this season. Yeah, and I do think that this start has changed my expectations a little bit because, you know, realistically heading into this year, I, I think you just knew how competitive the NL East was going to be, especially right. with the Mets going and getting Max Scherzer. Um, you know, the Braves are obviously coming off of winning a World Series. Um, you always have success against the Phillies, but still that lineup is offensively, it's scary, right? Like right. it's a really good lineup. Um, and the Nats obviously in, in rebuilding mode, but I'm sorry, Juan Soto can change a game with one swing. So I'm still not counting the nationals out as far as just being a tough, 
team to play against Correct. when you've got a guy like Juan Soto. So, you know, I think going in, I was excited about the possibility, especially after the moves that the Marlins made during the off season. But I was also a little just, I don't know if worried is the right word, but just knowing it's a tough division, right? Right, right. Um, so, but after seeing the the way they were kind of able to, you know, to battle through some of those games in Atlanta, uh, knowing that they're picking up right where they left off against having success against the Phillies with the nationals, you know, no disrespect to the Nats, but beating a team that you're supposed to beat. Yeah. Right. Like that's the biggest thing, like getting wins against teams that you should get a win against. So, um, and, and if you think about it too, a lot of those games in their opening road trip of the season could have gone. Oh yeah. They Mm -hmm. very easily could have taken, you know, two or three more games against San Francisco. Uh, You know, if Eliezer had gotten the call that absolutely should have been a strike (laughs) three in that first (laughs) inning against the angels, like how that game played out, you know, there's so many different things to think that this team could actually have at this point, you know, four or five more wins on their side. Um, so I think, uh, you know, they've been competitive in, in pretty much every game that they've played in so far with the exception of maybe one or two. So, um, yeah, I think my expectations have certainly, certainly elevated a little bit after seeing the way they started this year. I always knew, right. We, we talked about it so much. You've always known the one thing about the Marlins, you're always going to get a chance to win a ball game because of this starting rotation. Yep. Um, but now seeing, you know, what a Joey Wendell can do, what, what a Solaire, you know, when he gets going can do, uh, the, you know, when Aggie starts, starts really getting that Arepa power going, I can't even yeah. say that with an I accent. love it. Like, yeah, do it. But Arepa is so bad. Yeah, there it's it is. So I love it. Anyways, I love it. I'm not going to try it. It's going to just, I'm yeah, not going to even bother. I mean? like, yes. Kind of this whole, when this whole thing really, really gets going. Um, and, you know, think about your bullpen when you get yeah. a Dylan Floro back who That's pitched so well last year. Uh, you know, there, there's just, there's still exciting things to come with this team. And, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to see the start that they've had because I love this group of guys and, and they really deserve it. The thing that I think can, can make you excited for sure on, on top of like some of the the positives you've already seen is that it's like the bullpen has blown a couple of games and the bats, the new additions in Garcia and Solaire haven't really done all that much yet. And yet yeah. they're still playing 500 baseball, right? That yeah. would be almost even more so the, hey, not everything has clicked yet. Like this team still has a lot of room for growth and yet they're still playing around 500 ball. Right. And in years past when things weren't clicking, that meant you were instantly sort of, you know, down the tank losing seven of 10 or whatever that right. might be. This team has scrapped together a couple of wins despite the fact that not everybody has gotten going yet. And that has to be exciting for sure. But Jessica, thank you so much for for taking the time to do all of this. I know I, I kept you longer than than we anticipated. I feel like that's how most of our conversations go. I feel we like, always have fun talking. Yeah, so this, this is great. No problem whatsoever. Well, I appreciate you doing it. Um, everybody can follow you on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow Jess's work on Bally Sports and across all of our stations, right? Like no matter what channel you turn on, you're probably going to see Jessica Blaylock <laughs> covering either the Marlins or the Panthers. Enjoy all of those games. Uh, seeing Jessica with the Panthers, what, I guess 
Friday night as well. Um, and as we're having this conversation, where, where can everybody see you over the next? Yeah. Days? Yeah. So again, uh, baseball Saturday and Sunday against the Mariners baseball, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against the Diamondbacks. And then, uh, from next Thursday on whoever the Panthers are playing in the playoffs. Yes. I'll- yes, she will. Uh, you guys can watch that. And just for, for programming notes, Follow at Bally Panthers, at Bally Marlins, at Bally Heat. We will be communicating to you guys really consistently as much as we can about what channels all of these games are on as there's multiple games. We know that there's lots of sports happening, and so sometimes your games aren't on the channel that you're used to. Follow all those accounts on Twitter. It will help you stay in track with all of these things. And always, you can watch these games on the Bally Sports app or on BallySports.com by logging in with your cable credentials. Jessica Blaylock, thank you again for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up. Thanks so much for having me on, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mic'd Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.